This week I was watching a uh, video of a fairly well-known public speaker, and uh, he was talking, being interviewed about his emphasis on personal responsibility. People need to take personal responsibility. And uh, even though he is coming from a secular perspective, in that it gave him the um, opportunity to, in, in some ways, I think, echo biblical truth. Because the Bible does teach that we ought to uh, make wise choices that honor God, that we ought to not behave sinfully, all those sorts of things. But there was a question that the lady who was interviewing him asked, which was, why should people who are at a severe disadvantage in life due to their background, uh, economic status, the way that their family has treated them, uh, personal physical shortcomings, all those sorts of things, why should they accept your message of personal responsibility and sort of live this life that strives to be a better person, why should they do that instead of making excuses for themselves? Or in the context of the passage that we're going to look at here, why should you suffer? What things are worth suffering for? What things are even worth dying for? And his answer was something along the lines of, well, they will be better people if they live in a way that's responsible than if they don't. But is that all that we can live for? Because this way of life is a little bit better, a little bit smoother, a little bit happier than if you go this other way. Or is there something far greater than we can live for? In this passage, Paul is facing the end of his life. And he's looking at Timothy, he's passing the torch to him, and he's saying, what is worth following in my footsteps? What is worth going through all the things that I've gone through? And for Paul, they were many. Shipwreck, persecution, starvation, uh, lack of basic necessities, opposition at every turn from his own people, why was it worth it for Paul to do that? What was the thing that motivated him? What was the thing that drove him? What was the thing that, in the context of this day, Paul is obviously writing specifically to Timothy as a pastor of a local church, but I think there's very clear applications to what every church member ought to do, to the way that we as men lead our homes and strive to show people that Christ is worth knowing and following and even suffering for, what were the things that drove Paul? He started out in chapter 1 and verse 8. Do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord or of me, his prisoner, but join with me in suffering for the gospel according to the power of God. And then he talks about what God accomplished in salvation and the calling with which Paul had been called. And then he says in verse 12, For this reason I also suffer these things, but I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him until that day. You retain the standard of sound words. You guard through the Holy Spirit the treasure entrusted to you. 
And then he goes and he gives some examples of people who have not followed faithfully. Verse 15, All who are in Asia turned away from me, among whom are Phygdelus and Hermogenes. Then he gives a contrast that with an example of someone who was faithful. The Lord grant mercy to the house of Onesiphorus, for he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. But in, when he was in Rome, he searched for me and found me. The Lord grant to him to find mercy from the Lord on that day. And you know very well what services he rendered at Ephesus. In that context, Paul is essentially alone. Paul has faithfully served, but now it seems that service is drawing to a close. In that context, what is it that he is concerned that Timothy knows? What is it, by way of application, that we in the church have a responsibility to see happen? Sometimes we think, well, my responsibility is to serve God faithfully until I die. And that is certainly part of it. But the church will end if that is all that you do. What does he say in verse 1? Be strong in the grace in Christ Jesus. The things which you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. We have a responsibility in the church. I have a responsibility to make sure that we are maturing individually, but that we are also passing on truth to those who come after us. Notice the progression. The things you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses... Entrust these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Paul, to Timothy, to faithful men, to others. That has to keep happening for the church to survive, for God's work to continue, for Christ to be honored. And so that was one of the things that Paul was very emphatically concerned that Timothy would be faithful to do. But if he was going to do that, it was going to be, in the context, verse 3, of hardship. Paul said that in verse 8, in verse 12. Now he's saying it in verse 3. He's going to say it in terms of his own experience in verse 9. This is a thing that Paul was very aware of. The Christian life involves suffering, difficulty, opposition. Paul gives three illustrations to help Timothy see what that looks like. The first is that of a soldier. Suffer hardship with me as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier in active service entangles himself in the affairs of everyday life so that he may please the one who enlisted him as a soldier. Timothy, if you're going to be a good soldier for Christ Jesus, you can't get distracted by all the things that are around you. Rightly or wrongly, this is a reality for those who serve their country as a soldier that responsibility takes higher priority over the other relationships in their lives. When they're called into active service, they have to go. It might be their son's birthday party, their daughter's recital, some specific event that they don't want to miss. They have to go. In the same way, Paul wants Timothy to recognize that his highest priority is his allegiance and his service to Christ. What things are there that might distract us from that single-minded focus on doing what God has called us to do? There are many things in this world that are enjoyable. It could be the pleasures of this life. It could be even good things 
like family and friends and work and all these other sorts of things. What did Jesus say when it comes to the question of family? If anyone loves father or mother or brother more than me, he is not worthy of me. That doesn't mean that we hate our family, but it does mean that Christ is our highest priority. And that's a constant struggle because there are so many things in this life that it's easy to become focused on in place of Christ. Don't be entangled by the things of this life. Ecclesiastes, when we were studying through that, described the proper balance. Remember that all of these things are gifts from God. Food and family and work and all of this, these are good gifts of God. They're for a span. They're not to be worshipped. They're not ultimate ends in themselves. They are temporary gifts to be enjoyed rightly, recognizing from whom they come. Paul says a similar thing to Timothy. As a soldier, don't get distracted by all the things around you. Be a good soldier. And then he has his second illustration, that of an athlete. If anyone competes as an athlete, he does not win the prize unless he competes according to the rules. And maybe not as much recently, but there was a, a period of time when I was growing up, and you were constantly hearing about this athlete and that athlete that got disqualified from baseball or from the Olympics or from some other sport because they weren't following the rules and the requirements and the regulations of their sport. They might win a gold medal. They might win five championships. But if they didn't compete according to the rule, when it came out that they had broken the regulations, that honor was taken away from them. The soldier wants to please the one who has enlisted him as the soldier. The athlete wants to win the prize, gain the victory, but you can't go off and do it by your own rules. There are many people who claim to follow God who fail before they reach the finish line. Is that going to be you? Paul says to Timothy, don't do it because it will destroy the church at which you serve. Paul says, I think by way of application to us, don't do it. It will wreck your family. It will undermine your testimony. It will harm God's reputation in the world. Compete according to the rules. And then verse 6, the hardworking farmer ought to be the first to receive his share of the crops. You say, what does that have to do with the first thing? All of these have a sphere of activity, soldier, athlete, farmer, and then a reward. The reward for the soldier as he pleases his commanding officer. The reward for the athlete as he wins the prize. The reward for the farmer is that he receives crops. And right, rightly so. But what has to come first? There's no crops if you don't plant the seeds. There's no crops if God doesn't send rain or you irrigate the field. There's no crops if you don't pull the weeds out. Are you doing the labor that results in the reward? 
by way of application to fathers. Are you entangled in the affairs of everyday life? Well, how would you know? This is a constant struggle, but if your kids know you more for your hobbies and your job and all of those sorts of things than that you are someone who knows and follows Christ and that is the highest priority in your life, then you are probably getting entangled in the affairs of this life. What about as an athlete? Are you competing according to the rules? God has laid out what it looks like to follow Him. Are you cutting corners and saying, I can do it whatever way I want, as long as I get there in the end, it doesn't matter how I do it. God lays out clearly what it means. Bring your children up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. There's different ways to accomplish that, but we can't say, well, I'm just going to skip doing that. Fathers, don't provoke your children to wrath. Well, but if I only provoke them to wrath once a week, I'm doing okay. No, we cannot go outside of the boundaries, the parameters, the things that God has set for us as men to do and receive the proper reward. And what about the illustration of the farmer? We want the crops. We want the kid who's living in a way that honors us, and pleases us, and all those sorts of things. But you don't get to that point if you don't take and do the hard work of loving discipline day in and day out, over and over again. You might say 5,000 times, pick this thing up, do, walk this way, speak this way, all of those sorts of things. But if you don't do that, you're not going to get here. For Paul to Timothy, he's saying in the context of the church, put in the labor in the context of the church so that people are mature and following after Christ. By way of application for us as fathers, put in the work to be a good father is not a guaranteed outcome, but it's not for the farmer either, is it? There are years of rain, there are years of drought, it may be a long time coming before what you have invested comes to fruit. But if you have done your job faithfully, then you have rightfully earned that reward. It says in verse 7, Consider what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. Paul says to Timothy, Timothy, you may not get this the first time I say it to you. You may not get this the second or third or fourth or fifth time you read this letter that I sent to you. But think about this, and the more that you go through life, the more you get closer to where I am in ministry, you will see that it is worth, worth it and necessary and important for you to not get distracted, not stray off course, not be lazy, but to do the ministry that God has called you to do. And just because Paul said that to Timothy, who is a pastor of a church, and just because he laid out these qualifications for what pastors and deacons are supposed to be like, that doesn't mean the rest, of us, the rest of us ought to be striving to meet those things too. It's just, these people have to do it, but this is something all of us should be striving to live up to. What was the motivation that was sufficient for Timothy to accomplish these purposes, 
to be sustained through suffering to fulfill his ministry. Remember who you're doing it for. Verse 8. Remember Christ Jesus, risen from the dead, descendant of David, according to my gospel. These short phrases sum up the heart of the gospel message. Who's it about? Jesus Christ. How do we know it's true? Because he rose from the dead. Why is it important? Because he's the descendant of David who's coming to reign. What's the way of rightly relating to him? It's according to the gospel. The message about who Jesus is that the apostles have proclaimed, that was the way that people could be rightly related to God. And so the thing that was going to sustain Timothy in his ministry, the thing that will sustain you in being a good father, a good church member, or whatever God has called you to be, is that you're not serving yourself, you're serving Christ. You're serving Christ who is worth serving because he's not a myth, a legend, a made-up story. He is the one who has risen from the dead and now alive. That you are serving Christ who is coming to reign. And that coming to reign has in it both the promise of hope for God's people and judgment for those who oppose God. 2 Thessalonians 1 says, You who are troubled, rest with us, because Jesus is going to be revealed from heaven in flaming fire, taking vengeance on those who do not obey the gospel. Sometimes we look at this message about Christ and we say, this is something, I will pick it up when I want to, and there will always be an opportunity down the road in the future. And this verse is saying, Jesus Christ is coming to reign, and 2 Thessalonians 1 says it will come unexpectedly. And the question is not going to be, were you a good person? Did you go to church? Did you give money to help people when they were in need? The question is going to be, what did you do with Jesus? Did you obey his gospel? Or did you go your own way? And Paul says, I have believed that gospel. As I said in verse 12, I know whom I believed. I'm convinced he's able to guard what I've entrusted him until that day. He knew that he had a relationship with Christ. And so if the emperor threw him in the arena and he was killed by wild animals, or if they executed him the next day, it didn't matter because he knew Christ. If he lived long years of difficult suffering for the sake of the gospel, that was okay because he knew Christ, he knew the reward that was coming, he knew what God had promised, and that God would keep those promises. That was the thing that sustained him. That was the thing that he trusted was sustained Timothy because they had heard the gospel message, they had believed the gospel message that was about Christ coming to reign, raised from the dead in victory. Not live your life as a good person because it's just kind of a better way to live. What motivation is that? Live this way because God is watching, Christ is your Savior, and He can and will carry you through to the end. Whether you're Paul at the end of the line, or Timothy somewhere along the journey, or a child just beginning in your, in your pursuit of following Christ, the thing that will carry you from here to there is knowing who Jesus is, and following Him, and trusting Him, and believing the promises that God has made. 
He says, verse 9, For which I suffer hardship even to imprisonment as a criminal, but the word of God is not in prison. Here's who I believe. Here's the message that I've preached. And that's put me in jail. But no prison walls can hold the message that God has given me. He said in another place, Christ is preached more because I am in prison. Some do it out of false motives, out of envy, out of jealousy. Some do it out of good motives. But the point is, they put me in jail, but they couldn't stop the spread of God's word because it's not about any one person. And we've seen this in the book of Acts. The Holy Spirit says, this will go forth. And the Jews tried to stop it, and the Gentiles tried to stamp it out in greed. And all of those who tried to thwart the progress of the spread of the gospel and the building of the church failed because God is greater than men. His word cannot be bound. And it's not dependent on you or me or any one of us, but God works through all of us to accomplish this purpose. Verse 10, For this reason I endure all things for the sake of those who are chosen, so that they also may obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus, and with it eternal glory. Timothy, pass on the truth. Timothy, suffer hardship with me as a soldier, as an athlete, as a farmer. Why? Because the message that you have is true. Because even if you are in prison, that message will prevail. Because God is using that message to bring those that He has called, that He intended long ago to save, He's bringing them to salvation through the work that we are doing. And the end result of it is eternal glory. So why should you fulfill your ministry as a pastor, as a parent, as a church member, as a person created by God? Why should you fulfill that ministry? Because the end goal of it is the glory that God has promised. Well, maybe I don't believe God. What does he say? Verse 11. It is a trustworthy statement. If we died with Him, we will live with Him. If we endure, we will reign with Him. If we deny Him, He will deny us. If we are faithless, He remains faithful, for He cannot deny Himself. The if we died with Him, we will live with Him is a statement of our union, our connection with Christ. If I have died to sin because I am connected with the death of Christ that conquers sin, then sin has no power on me. The strength of sin is the law. The end result of sin is death. But if sin's power is broken, death has no claim on me, I will be resurrected. We will also live with Him. Verse 12, if we endure, we will reign. And Paul says, persevere unto the end. And you will share in the glory that is Christ when He comes in His kingdom. If we deny Him, He will deny us. Jesus said this in Mark 8. We cannot deny Christ and at the same time profess to follow Him. Now, taking it in connection with the next verse, we have to say, well, what is, he saying? what is He saying? I think verse 12, He's talking about an example of someone like Judas. I think, we say, I think verse 13, He's talking about the example of someone like Peter. Judas denied Christ and died in his sin and was condemned because he never turned back in repentance to Christ. But verse 13, even when someone like Peter denied Christ, was faithless, 
Christ's promise that he was one of his, that he would not be lost, that he was working in his life, that he would use him in service, that promise did not fail because it was rooted in the character of God. So the warning of verse 12 is, do you really belong to God? Because there are people who say they belong to God, say a lot of Christian words, do a lot of nice things, and have no relationship with Christ. They're the ones that Jesus will look at and say, I never knew you. And they'll say, but we did all these things. They say, it's not about only the things that you do. Apart from a relationship with me, those things have no meaning. But even though we sin, verse 13, God is faithful. So Timothy, why should you suffer hardship with Paul? Christian, why should you follow Christ in the ups and downs of life? Fathers, why should you be a good father even when you don't feel like it, when you're tired, when it seems like it's not working? Why? Because of who you're serving. It's about Christ, not about you. Because of the power of God. Even prison walls can't hold it. Because of the end result, the salvation of those who believe. And because of who made the promises and who is accomplishing it. It's not ultimately you. It's God and His power. So in going back to the illustration at the beginning... Do we endure suffering, strive through the um, perplexities and obstacles of life because it's just the human nature to accomplish some sort of example of humanity? That's not a motivation that's going to sustain you through life. The thing that will sustain you through the trials and the difficulties and the demands of following Christ, is this. It's about Christ. God's power is greater than men. God's Word will accomplish salvation in people. And the one who has promised that He will work, will work, because his character is such that it cannot change. He will be faithful. So what's your motivation for doing the things that God has called you to do? For Timothy, it was be a good pastor, pick up the torch that Paul was passing on, pass it on to the ones who came behind him. For you, to be a good church member, to be a good child, be a good parent, to be a good husband, a good wife, a good employee, whatever it might be, the thing that will sustain you in doing what God has called you to do is knowing and believing the gospel message, seeing God's power even over seemingly impossible obstacles, seeing the end goal, the salvation of those that we're ministering to, and God's glory. And remembering the character of the one who's promised. God will not break his word. So what's your motivation? And are you going to 
be a good soldier? Or are you going to get wrapped up in the things of this life and be a bad soldier and not please the one that you're reporting to? Are you going to be a good athlete? Or are you going to say, well, I can sort of bend the rules and go my own way over here and it won't affect my rating in the race, in the competition, in the event? Are you going to be a good farmer? Are you going to be lazy and say, well, you know what? It might happen. It might. I, I could put the seeds in and they might not grow. And So why bother? Are you going to do the hard work? you don't win the prize if you don't do the work. Remember Christ Jesus, raised from the dead, descended from David, according to Paul's gospel, because that is the thing that's going to help you to endure through opposition, through suffering, through good times, through bad times. That is the thing that will help you fulfill the ministry that God has given to you. Let's pray. Lord, sometimes we have rather insufficient reasons for doing the things that we do. It's not entirely bad to do something because it uh, leads to a better result than not doing it. It's not entirely bad to do something because it is a more pleasing way to live. But that's not the sort of thing that's going to sustain us when we stare death in the face, when inexplicable things happen in our lives, when we share your truth and we're rejected and mocked for it. It's not going to be good enough to say, well, you know, it's Jesus is a great moral example or you know, we should be nice to people around us, or just the sort of platitudes that sometimes are the motivations we fall back on apart from your word. Lord, help us see the truth of the things that Paul is saying here. We don't serve a dead moral teacher, we serve a living Christ. We don't look for the return of one who is wringing his hands, hoping that people in the world will eventually do the sort of things that they ought to do and be nice to each other, but a king who is coming to conquer and set things right and to rule the nations with a rod of iron where there will be no room for sin or rebellion, where he will have the final victory. We don't serve a sort of vague hope that everything's going to be okay tomorrow. That, uh, you know, people are basically good and, and everything will turn out okay. We trust in the hope of the gospel that Jesus is the only way to God and that if we are on His side trusting in God through Him that we will share in His glory. Lord, help us to be convinced of these truths, not as um, interesting ideas on a book on our shelf that we take down and look at once in a while, but as things that affect our daily lives. Maybe that looks like saying, you know what, I've never really trusted in Christ. 
Lord, I pray if that's the case for anyone here today, that they would turn to you now. Maybe we come to terms with the fact that we have trusted in you, and we've allowed ourselves to get distracted by the things around us. Help us to renew our commitment to following you. Perhaps there are areas of sin in our life where we are not competing according to the rules of living this life in a way that honors you. We've said sin is not too bad. I'll give it the back room, but it can't have the whole house. Lord, help us to see that as being a dangerous and destructive course to repent of that sin and to turn back to you. Lord, maybe there's just ways in our lives that we are being lazy in following you, or rather in not following you as we should. Help us to have the discipline through the encouragement of fellow believers, through the uh, commitment of the work of your Spirit in our lives to say, I need to be faithful about doing the things I know I ought to do. Lord, whatever the steps of change we need to take this morning, may we do them confidently knowing that it is your power that sustains us, that no matter how sinful we may have been at different points in our lives, you have the power to change and to transform us, that your purpose will prevail. So Lord, help us to seek to be allied with that purpose. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.